Howdy folks, my name is J.A. Graham, and this is the History of Religion podcast. We are on episode 36 of the History of Christianity series titled Carolingian Christianity. Last time we got to the point where Christendom was almost united under Charlemagne and Irene, but it did not come to fruition. Rather, Christianity became split into the East and the West. Today we will look at how these two built versions of Christianity that last until today, and the way that they functioned during a time that often exemplifies the Middle Ages. We turn to the West and Charlemagne first, who had done quite a bit already for Christianity before he was crowned. Charlemagne ruled over almost all of the Western Christendom, and the only real exception being the British Isles. He went after expanding his borders through war. He looked west to the Saxons and the Frisians. He invaded, and then they rebelled. He came down hard on them. With the sword, and by 784, he had suppressed the rebellions and forced all under his rule to accept baptism in the Christian faith. The rest were simply killed. This was important because the pagans, who were often being baptized, saw the ritual as forsaking their own gods, who then turned on them. Thus, once they had been baptized, many of them saw the only option and the only god that they could worship as Christian. Charlemagne looked to the Iberian Peninsula, where the Muslims had run a series of successful campaigns in the early 700s, taking most of the peninsula. They were stopped at the Battle of Poitiers, or Tours, in 732. Many historians also point to the fact that there was internal issues for the Islamic empires at the time that also forced them to stop the advance. By the time Charlemagne attempted to regain parts of the Iberian Peninsula, the Muslims were firmly entrenched. The first attempt to retake land ended in clear defeat, but eventually he established a Christian foothold in the peninsula, until the river Ebro. He then began to help a king in the area named Alfonso II of Asturias to begin what eventually became the Reconquista of the Iberian Peninsula centuries later. With so much now under his control, he began to reform the institutions that defined the West. He appointed bishops, which was something that was normally left up to the church. He called for the lingua franca of the people to be spoken in preaching so that all could understand, and he made tithes obligatory, like taxes. The monasteries had become places where wealth and power resided, so not as holy as they once were. Charlemagne began to force all monasteries to follow the Benedictine rule. Charlemagne's son, Louis the Pious, forbade monks from wearing jewelry and fancy clothes in 817. Furthermore, schools began to rise up wherever churches were. These schools were open to the rich and the poor. The results was that many came to the kingdom to study in it. It created a historical period now referred to as the Carolingian Renaissance, which was roughly from 780 to 820. Histories were written, such as the History of the Lombards by Peter of Pisa, and influential theologians were in the courts, such as Theodulf. The most important thinker was an English monk named Alcuin, who did work in algebra. So, there was a lot more going on in the Dark Ages than just people dying from disease and malnutrition, although the Carolingian Renaissance is notable because it seems to be an exception to such realities. In terms of Christianity, Charlemagne reformed the church system to make it more impactful and important for local populations which led to the Christianizing of the Frankish lands even more. He expanded Christendom using forced conversions and reformed the monasteries. So for the average peasant at the time, the only real differences would have been the slow disappearance of paganism and the increased reliance upon the church for social services. So when he sent an envoy to Irene and Constantinople to marry her and unite Christendom, he meant business in the biblical sense. But things did not play out very well. When the elite of Byzantium heard about the possibility of the empire being subjugated to Charlemagne through marriage, they were not as excited as Charlemagne was, to say the least. 
They got together and kidnapped Irene, shaved her head, and imprisoned her until her death in 805. To exemplify how the East and West saw each other at the time, Charlemagne was so mad about the deal falling through that he made an alliance with the Caliph against the Byzantines, but they never took military action against them. The major theological implication of the fallout was that in 809 Charlemagne held the Council of Aiken. Now, this was not an ecumenical council, but it was an attempt to modify a creed from an ecumenical council, namely the Nicene Creed. What the West wanted to add to the doctrine was the filioque. The filioque is the idea that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Nicene Creed said that the Spirit only proceeds from the Father. This was then used by Arians in the West to argue that Jesus was not fully God because the Spirit did not proceed from him. The solution then was to use the filioque to catechize Christians during that time to prevent them from being Arian. It gained popularity since then, but it was not accepted in the East, where Arianism was not such as big of a deal. So when Charlemagne put it into the Frankish Church's Nicene Creed in 809, it successfully pissed off the Eastern Church. The Pope even disagreed. The Pope made a silver sign of the Nicene Creed without the filioque and put it outside of St. Peter's Basilica. However, the seed had been planted for the filioque to become a major point of contention between the East and the West. The Pope had chosen his side when he crowned Charlemagne. So even though the Pope could still disagree theologically at this point, it was not always to be that way. So the East and the West now are on different trajectories. This had sort of already been the case, but the die is cast now. Scholars refer to this as intellectual alienation, as the two halves of Christendom simply did not communicate as much anymore. They began to use only their own sources. So the West relied on Augustine and Latin sources, while the East on Origen, Athanasius, Cappadocian fathers, and others in the Greek sources. These sources slowly played out into major differences over time. The West becomes more focused on sovereignty and modified monergism, Monergism is the idea that only one party does the work in salvation, so namely God. The East drifted toward a synergistic view that humans work with God to gain salvation, and they were more inclined to believe in free will. Synergism means that there's two parties actually acting. The West focused more on propositional formulations of theology while the East on mystical speculation and tradition. The West saw the logical conclusion of Augustine 700 years before the Reformation as well, in the man named Gottschalk. He asserted that the conclusion of Augustine was the doctrine called predestination, which says that God has chosen those who are saved and those who are damned in time eternity past. So there is no free will, and those who are damned have no hope of being saved. He was a bit of an ass about it, though. He seemed to enjoy the idea that people were forever damned, especially those who disagreed with him or were his superiors. Eventually, he was put on trial, then imprisoned in a monastery for the rest of his life where he went mad. Another issue was the presence of Christ in communion. There was a debate in the West about what happened at communion. Communion is the ceremony where bread is eaten and wine is drunk following Jesus at the Last Supper. It is an essential part of the Christian faith and performed most Sundays. The debate came when a theologian argued that the bread did not just symbolize the body of Christ and the wine did not just symbolize the blood of Christ. Rather, the bread actually became the body of Christ and the wine actually became Came the blood of Christ. Other theologians weighed in saying that perhaps it was a different kind of body. They say that Christ had a Eucharist, another word for communion, a body and a heavenly body, so that he could be in both places at the same time. They did not come to any firm settlement, as some said it was just bread and wine, some said that it was the literal body and the literal blood, and others said that it was just a different kind of body and blood. This would flesh out over the next few hundred years until it became a firm Catholic doctrine. So the foreshadowing of the theological issues in the 
the Protestant Reformation are present in the Carolingian period too. However, the two main points of contention slowly emerge as the papal authority and the filioque. The papal authority is the assertion of authority over the other patriarchs, while the other is the amendment of an ancient creed. Charlemagne ruled for 47 years, and he had set the course for the next few hundred years of religion, I think unintentionally. He died in 814, and his empire did not last long after him, furthering the perception of his rule by historians as a glimmer of light amidst the Dark Ages. In the time after Charlemagne, his empire fell apart quickly. A large cause was the incompetence of his successors. But another was the new movement in the north. Scandinavians learned how to sail and became known as Norsemen. They found easy pickings among monasteries and churches that were loaded with gold and no one who knew how to fight very well or was willing to at least. They made their way through England and northern France, eventually to Spain sacking the pilgrimage city of Santiago de Compostela. They kicked the Muslims out of Sicily and took southern Italy. So they killed a lot of monks and took a lot of gold crosses. Yet, they eventually adopted the religion of those they conquered, adding to Christendom. This, in a way, infected the culture and made its way back to Scandinavia, where slowly they converted over the next few centuries, as far away as Iceland. In the east, there were invasions by the Magyars, who would not assimilate as well, though. Missionaries were sent from Byzantium to Germany to convert the invading pagans. All of this puts Christendom in a state of instability, as it ebbs and flows with new invaders and rulers, but the faith somehow remains and continues to gain throughout the continent. With all of this instability geopolitically, the church was constantly navigating between authority and survival. The pope was in the most precarious position, as he turned, to, turned his back to the Byzantines, and now the Frankish Empire was essentially gone. There was a good pope in 858 named Nicholas I. He gained by using forged documents from Germany called the false decretals. The Germans were trying to undermine local authority by using the pope as a higher authority, so they created false documents and then said that they were ancient, giving the pope political powers. The pope after him cursed a king, and later the king died from a disease, making the pope even more powerful in the eyes of the commoner. But the position itself was a power grab in reality. Pope John VIII tried to start a crusade against the Muslims, but Charles the Fat and the Byzantines were just not interested. The Pope was then poisoned, and when they realized that he was not dying fast enough, they crushed his head with a mallet. Another Pope had his predecessor dug up from the grave in order to curse him. He had the body brought into the palace, where he put him on trial. Surprisingly, the defense was silent and the Pope took that silence as evidence of his guilt. So he cut off three of his fingers used for blessing and had his body thrown into the river. That stunt shook everyone so much that the Pope only lasted 15 days. In his office in 897, the Synod was called the Cadaver Synod. He was thrown into jail where he was strangled to death. Popes were strangled, suffocated, poisoned, starved, and assassinated. At times, there were three Popes at once. The reason for all of this was that the position had become a tool of whoever could control it. In other words, kings fought to have the right to appoint someone to the position so that they could have more political leverage. The trend of what is called simony occurred, which is the selling of church offices for money. The first case of it in the papacy was back in the 400s when two candidates were fighting for the papacy under Theodoric II, the Ostrogothic king. We are now moving toward the 10th century where the papacy actually somehow gets worse. So join me next time as we look at that and other developments in Christianity during the 9th and 10th century here on the History of Religion podcast.